Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f*** we want. Welcome back to another episode of the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben. We are now more than halfway through 2020, and the coronavirus, COVID-19, is still very much here. Today we're talking with synthetic biologist David Sun Kong. David is the director of MIT Media Lab's new community biotechnology initiative. And on top of his incredible work in the field of biotechnology, David is also heavily connected in the arts communities of music and photography as well. And today we're doing a bit of a special episode. We're talking about all things COVID-19, where we were at from the very beginning of the year to what thoughts were and theories in terms of what the coronavirus was to coming into now more than halfway through the year, new developments, new theories and things uh, that we're discovering or that we have discovered to what it is now. And we talk about all things from debunking myths surrounding the virus to where the progress of medicine is at to the timeline of where things are in terms of getting back to some level of normalcy. This episode is really, really packed with a lot of information. I had a lot of personal questions that uh, I would imagine that a lot of you out there also have in terms of behaviors, social behaviors to the economy and how we should be opening up, who we should be looking to in terms of our sources of news to what sorts of things should we be paying attention to, to even our hope as to how long this thing will last and how we can healthily and properly kind of manage our, our, our current state and how we can unite to move towards a healthier and better world ultimately. Uh, there's not much else to the intro other than that. Again, there's a lot of information in this one. I think this is definitely one that's going to take a few listens in terms of just extracting all the information. We are, um, yeah, again, David is a, is a well, well of knowledge and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get him back in here in the future to even kind of give us further progress updates just as we go uh, throughout the year and, and, the, and the future to come. Great episode. Uh, David, again, has just a lot of knowledge in here. I think that's it. Let's just get into it. Folks, welcome back to another episode of the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. And as always, we have really cool guests in the pod. Very excited for this one. Let me give you your brief intro. We have community organizer, musician, beatboxer, DJ, photographer. And oh yeah, he's a synthetic biologist at MIT Media Labs, new community biotechnology initiative. Folks, we have David Sun Kong in the pod. Welcome, David. What's up, fam? It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be here with you. Stoked to have you, man. So uh, just to give the listeners a brief um, snapshot of how we even know you, uh, it was sometime, I believe it was last year, where uh, we had met you out on the East Coast. And, um, and we, we, know, we, we heard that you were like a cool dude, but we had no idea uh, <laughs> that you are such a multifaceted individual from uh, artistic talents as well as um, you're a scientist. <laughs> 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 one of the most prestigious 
um, you know, schools and, and, you know, obviously so much is happening, um, you know, from what you guys are working on. Um, before we get into where you're at right now, what you're doing, and um, can you give us just a brief snapshot, like the, who you are, where you're from, your origin, yeah. and all that yeah. and stuff? Well, so for, before I even say anything about me, I just want to give a shout out to y'all and the Kinjas because, you know, seriously, I, I, uh, I met oh, yeah. BJ. Um, I met Lee J. Uh, that's how I got connected. The Kinjas mask, but yeah, you oh, got. I've got I've got my whole collection, man. I've got I've got my you know I've got the white one. This one is my favorite though. This one is this is the most beautiful one of all. This is the most beautiful one of all. Yeah. I, I rock this, and I forget I'm wearing it sometimes when I'm out. People just give me this reaction like, "Thank you." You know what I mean? Like, I, it's it's really beautiful. So that's you know, shout out to you all, and you know, it's such a blessed blessing to meet Lee J. And through that, connect with you all because again, I think. The work that you do through movement, through culture, um, what an impact, you know, what an impact. And so, you know, for me and my own kind of personal background and journey, I do have this sort of uh, multimodal kind of life where, um, you know, I really was uh, for a long time a community organizer and social justice activist, uh, working a lot in the Asian American community. So actually, I think even before I met Lee Jay, you know, we had a lot of kind of mutual friends in the yeah. scene um, doing arts specifically with Asian Americans. And so um, I've been working um, in doing organizing uh, through social justice and the arts since probably about, you know, kind of early 2000s, so almost 20 years, actually. And, um, and I helped to found um, or set up this, uh, this community center in the East Coast called EMW, which uh, used to be my, my parents' Chinese language bookstore called East Meets West Bookstore. And so me and a bunch of other organizers, uh, you know, we took it over in the early 2000s and turned it into this, this, um, this art center. And we started hosting open mics. And um, over the years, it evolved into, you know, having beatboxers and electronic music producers and, um, you know, hip hop artists and, um, and then, uh, you know, gallery artists and then biology, you know, as I shifted more. And I'll, I'll tell a little bit more about that, that part of it, too. Um, but. But for me, I kind of had that one dimension of myself that was really about the arts and organizing. And then I had a whole other dimension that was all about um, science. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an MIT lifer. Um, my dad was a professor at MIT. And, um, you know, his whole area of research was called electromagnetic wave theory, which is a very, very fancy way of saying light. It's like the light and the energy that propagates in the universe, right? Yeah. So my dad, um, you know, he was an expert in Maxwell's equations. He's like five five equations that govern all electromagnetic phenomena in the universe. But he was also, you know, kind of legendary in his um, uh, knowledge of Chinese history, philosophy, literature. And, um, and so one fun fact about me and my origin is that I'm actually a direct descendant of Confucius, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pretty wild fact. Wild, so yeah. 75th generation uh, direct descendant of Confucius, and um, it's baked into our Chinese, my, my Chinese name is David Kong, um, but Kong Shansung is the, is the, is the Chinese, uh, you know, full name, and it's baked into my second character is, is uh, you know, what generation I'm descended. So, so there's a whole kind of lineage connecting me back to, you know, my Asian heritage and my Chinese heritage. And then, you know, growing up here in uh, Massachusetts, um, you know, being around basically MIT my whole life, you know, I, I got into the sciences, got into biology, and then I went to grad school at the Media Lab, and I did a, a whole work in this field called synthetic biology, which is, in a way, how I got plugged in with everything going on with COVID, and um, in a way, I also had kind of a preview to everything that was going to go down, you know, it, probably late January, February um, of 2020, um, I already had a, a strong feeling of, of what might happen and how serious this might all, might all be. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I kind of had these two, two lives where I was working on cutting edge, what's called synthetic biology, which is, which is kind of a form of biological engineering. So um, think like 
you know, how could I engineer bacteria to like make jet fuel or make uh, new medicines or make new materials? Um, we're starting to see actually increasingly some of this work uh, bleed into the, the kind of commercial uh, space where you can buy like ties that are made out of spider silk, you know, that are literally grown in a lab. Yeah. And, um, or, you know, Adidas, they're making these like really dope shoes that are using a kind of bioengineer, biofabricated materials. So there's, there's design. And again, y'all are amazing designers in your work here, but there's bio design. So how do we actually make materials out of biological um, fabrics or, you know, mycelium, mushrooms, things like that. So there's a whole kind of space. And even in the food space now, we're seeing that too. So, you know, like impossible burgers, like foods where you're eating food that um, it's actually not made from animals anymore. It's either made from vegetables or it's straight up grown in a lab. Um, it's actually synthesized in a lab. So a lot of that technology is part of what I work in called synthetic biology. And so, um, you know, for me, kind of my arc was, you know, kind of arts organizing, then, you know, science and technology. And then I merged those in this lab that I run over uh, at the Media Lab now, which is the Community Biotechnology Initiative, which basically brings together communities and artistic expression with science. So to me, it's like, who gets to participate in science? Is science just for like the elites and kind of the, you know, the 1% or science for everybody? Can we get grassroots communities involved, in particular marginalized communities, folks that are not normally at the table? So, so that's kind of the, you know, some of the larger gestalt of what I've been working on. And I think part of why, you know, again, I vibe so much with, uh, with the Kinjas and what you guys are all about, because again, you are all have this, uh, you know, kind of multi-threat um, aspect for your, your, you know, you're so, so skilled and talented in dance, but you know, it goes so much more beyond that. And, um, I appreciate you guys for taking the science and taking COVID so seriously as well. And thank you. That, that, that actually makes a lot of sense, even in terms of the way that we've kind of organically connected, even from the way that you met Lee J and then, you know, you got introduced to our entire camp and, um, you know, the way that I was, the way that I always thought about science for scientists, I just have the image of the lab coat and I have, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm yeah. thinking. And yeah, then I'm yeah. like, oh, this guy is like, he's like one of us, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> it just made sense. And, um, you know, and then, I, you know, I was, I've been seeing your, your stuff with like going live with Diplo and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you, you make it so that, uh, you know, for those of us who don't study science like that for the layman's terms, you break things down in such a way where it makes sense and we get it. And, um, and I appreciate your work in terms of the way that you connect, um, you know, the arts, which you yourself are an artist in so many ways, um, and then bridging that gap between, um, you know, where it seems like art and science would be so random and that there really is no bridging middle ground, but there absolutely is, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, for yourself, I think with what you're doing with EMW, like that's amazing. Um, and what you're doing at the Media Labs at MIT is amazing. Um, so moving into like, you know, not to just like jumpstart ahead, but there's so much <laughs> ground to cover in terms yeah, yeah. of, yeah. where we're at right now in 2020, right? And yeah. I think um, the thing that uh, everybody is, well, we've all been glued to our media outlets in terms of, you know, what is coronavirus? When it first yeah. kind of, we heard news about it, like, oh, it's nothing that takes it. It's just it's like the yeah. flu. And then, um, you know, obviously it's more serious than that. And there's a yeah. lot of myths that kind of came about and, um, you know, documentaries and, you know, all these sorts of things yeah. that were like, what do you believe? Yeah. You know, so there's so many questions. I have so many questions. 
Yeah. Um, so if we can kind of like dive into it, maybe, um, I mean, you already had mentioned like say from early January, February, you already were thinking like this thing, we need to take this yeah. thing seriously, you know? And, yeah. um, and you've been on that train and then obviously, you know, we're over here in California where things are looking not very good right now. Yep, um, so yep. yeah, walk us through your journey of like kind of really studying this from like the beginning of it. Um, and yeah. then move into obviously where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like you said, man, I mean, you know, January, February, um, you know, when, when, when I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> the podcast is not radio, so okay. We're not, we're, I was about to say when you show is going to be You're passionate okay. about it. Hey. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it flow. Earlier, <laughs> let I, was like, I was about to say I was like, oh. but yeah, when she was going down in China, and um, you know, when we were really starting to see what was unfolding there, um, you know, myself and a bunch of other colleagues at MIT, we were getting very concerned, right? Because um, you know, the the kind of features of a virus that could really wreak havoc and cause damage is basically a combination of two things. One, how infectious it is, it is how easy it is to, to, to pass on. And then the second is how lethal it is. Mm. And this thing was starting to look pretty scary. And I remember in uh, you know, February, yeah, late January and February or so, um, I don't know if you or, or um, you're, you're, those that are listening have seen that movie, Train to Busan. Um, it's oh, a Korean yeah. uh, zombie apocalypse movie, yes. right? Classic. And uh, you know, I've watched that movie uh, earlier in this year, and I felt like that dude at the beginning of the movie that who knows that the zombie apocalypse is coming, but everybody thinks he's crazy. You know, they're like, "Who's this crazy dude talking about the zombie apocalypse?" And I, I was kind of almost having like a mental breakdown, like at the end of February, because you know, started spreading. Italy started getting hit, and um, it started to to really become evident that this there was no containing this thing basically and uh, once we started shifting into march even you know to me i was walking around feeling like why is everybody just normal why are people just walking around like you know acting like nothing is going to happen when um you know all signs pointed towards this being um potentially a really uncontrolled um, outbreak who knew if it was going to be a pandemic but at least you know the likelihood that it could be really bad and, you know, the U.S., you know, we made so many critical errors uh, from the start and have continued to make critical errors throughout, um, which we'll talk about more, I'm sure. Just you know, again, I mean, the overall response that we've had in the United States is given all of the strategic advantages that we have is, is basically one of the worst on planet Earth, unfortunately. But, um, you know, at the time, I think once we got into March, um, you know, there was so much confusion, right? You, exactly to your point. And you had, unfortunately... Um, because of the, this current administration, you had a lot of just skepticism in science. You had, you know, we had, you know, public health experts that were really at the front of this thing talking about what was going on. But, you know, compare what happened in the United States with, for example, South Korea, which is another place that I like to bring up a lot. You know, South Korea and the United States, we had our first confirmed cases of COVID-19 on the same day, January 20th, okay, 2020. And South Korea to date, this is now, you know, seven months you know, later, six, seven months later, has about 14,000 cases total, total, right? Right now in the US, we're at like 70,000 cases a day, right? Actually, we're about, we're in the, in California and even Florida and Texas are getting close to like 15,000 cases a day, which is the total number in all of South Korea this whole time, okay? And so, you know, if you kind of remember, you remember back to like, you know, February or so in the, around that time, you know, China was popping off, South Korea started popping off, and then Italy, and you know, you're, you're like, oh, th what's going on with this thing, right? And so um, places like South Korea were able to take, I think, a lot of really strong public health actions to really contain things and bring the whole virus under control. And ultimately, you know, and this is what, you know, the hope for the U.S., hopefully we can get there, 
to basically have your economy open. So have the kind of socioeconomic functions that we all want to have in our lives. We all want to be able to go out and see our friends and dance and go to, you know, go party and go, you know, go, go be social creatures, right, you know, right, be humans, right. you know, we all want that, but there's a way to get there and there's a way not to get there. And, you know, South Korea is a great example of how to get there. And for us over the past, you know, six months, you know, what a roller coaster, right? We went through a bunch of months of just, you know, this, this shelter in place where most of the country um, did have some form of shelter in place to kind of bring those cases down. But, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, and we can get into this in more detail, but um, just shoddy, terrible leadership, you know, starting from the top and then going to the various, uh, you know, kind of governors and mayors. And, you know, you end up in a situation in the U.S. where you've got this just uncontrolled outbreak. You know, you've got COVID just kind of wilding out in, in, uh, in so many states right now. And um, it's, it's really scary. You know, I think we're, we're in a really tough spot right now. Um, you know, when uh, I, I did, when I, uh, you know, did a live earlier this year with, uh, with Anthony, I think it was in April, you know, it, it feels like not a lot has changed actually. And if anything, things have gotten worse in terms of where the outbreak has really spread and where it's blowing up, including in California, which, which actually early on was one of the exemplars. Like Cali was like doing quite well to start, but then, you know, again, has really joined, um, you know, the unfortunate club with states like Texas and, uh, and Florida that are really just kind of out of control right now. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Let me ask you. So you, you, you mentioned South Korea as kind of uh, would have been a good model to follow. Um, in your opinion, what do you think was uh, the thing that they did well in terms of controlling it that we're not doing? Yeah, such a great question. So South Korea did a number of things that were very, very good. Number one, they had extremely good science communication, right? So they had their public health experts and their politicians all on the same page. So there was one consistent message going out to the public. And they basically had like their version of Dr. Fauci, like talking to the public every single day. And if you look at the, at the countries that have handled this well, and this is countries so varied in their culture, their region, I'm talking Greece, New Zealand, um, you know, Taiwan. Um, so, so, you know, really almost every continent, you've got examples of countries that were able to do it well, in part because, again, number one, very consistent communication, right? In the U.S., we've had like, you know, kind of two conflicting voices. You've got a pretty anti-science administration, and then you've got the public health, expert, health, public health experts. So you have one voice that's like, hey, everybody should socially distance, everybody should wear masks. Then you've got the president being like, I don't think mask wearing is for me. And then you have confusion. So you have all of this kind of mixed messaging and you don't have consistent communication. So then that opens up basically the, the kind of window for all kinds of conspiracy theories and other things to filter in because now you, you don't have trust, right? You don't have trust. And that's one of the huge, huge things. So South Korea, they had trust. They had trust and they were able to build up that consistent messaging. So that was, I think, a critical, critical first part. Second part, what they were able to do is they had really extensive testing and what's called contact tracing. So contact tracing is basically, I think the best way to think about it, the metaphorically, it's like vision. It like allows you to see where the virus is, right? If you know where the virus is, then you can take the approach that South Korea did, which is basically to get the people that are sick, get just those people, get them treated, isolated from the rest of the population so they can't infect other people. And then if you do that, then basically everybody else can live their lives. Right? If you've got a system in place where I can figure out and see, like literally use this kind of vision, figure out who's got it, isolate them, everybody else can go about their lives. Right? And that's basically what they did in South Korea. South Korea, unlike the United States and a bunch of other European countries as well, never had to shut down. 
they did not shut down their economy the same way that the United States did, which is not something that people know a lot about, but is, is actually very true. They had one outbreak, one major outbreak connected with this megachurch that was in a particular region, region in South Korea. They did a ton of testing. They just tested, they did tens of thousands of tests in that area just to find out everybody that got infected, isolated those people, and then using contact tracing, which basically is saying that, hey, if I got infected and say, you know, you and I hung out, you know, whatever, a few weeks, like last week, then you would then get contact to say, hey, you might have been infected, you would get tested, even if you don't have symptoms. Because again, one of the gnarly, gnarly parts about COVID-19 is that you can be infectious, in fact, very infectious without symptoms, right? So through contact tracing, and this is, this, by the way, is like standard public health pra practice. It's what we use in public health, for example, to track um, sexually transmitted diseases is contact tracing. Okay, you know, you have, you, you have HIV. Who did you, uh, who, are, who are your partners that might've had it too? You go contact them, you test, you test them. So contact tracing is just a tried and true public health measure. And by doing that, coupled with the testing, you figure out who they are, who's got infected, pull them out of the population. And South Korea did that like magnificently. They had one of the worst outbreaks on planet earth and they locked it down, they got it under control. And then as a consequence, they never had to shut down economy and people there are living you know, pretty normal lives, right? And um, you know, schools are open, they're able, they have nightclubs, they have nightlife. I mean, it's, it's, it's normal out there. Same thing with places like Taiwan, Vietnam. I mean, I have friends, uh, I'm guessing you, know, you, you may have uh, you know, friends over in Asia as well that are like, they're living normal lives, you know, and there's a way to get there. But, and I think South Korea gave it, gave a great example of how you can do it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, with that, like the, the division of messaging, right. And um, it's so ironic that, you know, America, we pride ourselves on freedom. And I use the term loosely, you know, in terms of like, what are you actually free from, especially in a time like this, you know, where, we're we're giving away our freedoms because we can't seem to exercise some for lack of a better term or you know way a better way to put it self-control right like do we yeah. really need to be out um you know in these you know spaces where we don't really need to when the the suggestion the the highly educated suggestion is to stay home if you have to go out maintain six feet wear a mask wash your hands you know like all that yeah. there's this like you know, whatever the, you know, I don't want to get political now, but whatever the, the, the reasoning behind, like, no, I don't want to do that because yeah. that you're, you're, you know, infringing on my freedoms now. And like, yeah, yeah. I think that's the, that's the, um, it's a sad reality. So it being what it is now, like that it is what it is. Okay. Uh, us is like the worst. Um, is there, is there a bounce back, uh, in, yeah. your, in your opinion, you know, I mean, I don't want to get yeah. into a super dark place, but we also want to keep it real. We want to understand like, what yeah. position are we actually in now? Yeah. In the US? You know, can we bounce back from this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the answer is yes. Right. Um, and so just, just to, you know, put some, put some good news out there, right? Like um, I am a hundred percent fully confident um, that we will get through this. Right. Um, there's a, one of my mentors has a great, uh, great phrase, which I love, which is success is inevitable. Timing is uncertain. Right. Success is inevitable. Timing is uncertain. And that's totally the, the case with the pandemic. Right. One way or another, we're going to get this thing under control. One thing that's very, very fortunate about where we're at right now is that the therapeutic development, the vaccine development um, on the scientific side 
that is going full speed ahead at in, and there's collaboration and work happening in the scientific community, which I'm a part of that is unprecedented. You know, there's global work on so many great ways that ultimately are going to help in the end suppress this pandemic, right? If you have a very, very good therapeutic, which essentially is like a cure, right? If you get sick and I can give you a certain treatment to basically make COVID-19 not lethal or get you better. And there are, again, a number of these treatments, convalescent plasma, um, antibody treatments, um, antivirals that are being developed. All of that is moving. And, and again, at an unprecedented rate. So, you know, sometime in the, in the coming years, we are going to get these therapies. And we also are likely to get um, some type of a vaccine that will have a mitigating impact. And so you add that all up and over time, we're going to get through it. Right. So, so of that, I have no doubt. Okay. Now, where we are in the U.S. right now, though, is for sure a very, very tough spot. Right. Um, you know, just to give you give you a sense of kind of where we are. You know, right now we've got about more than four million cases in the U.S. We've got more than one hundred forty six thousand deaths, which is now more than World War One have died. Um, and in fact, I think just in the past three months, we've had more deaths in a three month period than in the history of the United States in the past three months. Okay, just in terms of concentrated death. So there's, there's a massive amount of suffering that we've had to go through. And because of all these shutdowns, an insane amount of economic damage and suffering as well. And again, reminder, if you do this well, like a South Korea, like a New Zealand, for example, New Zealand, there are no cases anywhere in New Zealand, even, Viet even Vietnam. Vietnam has had zero confirmed COVID deaths this entire time. I have friends that are DJs in Vietnam, like, crazy. you know, doing their thing. They're like DJing at clubs every night. I mean, it's just like, it's just totally normal there. And, you know, Vietnam, it's, it's a country of 100 million people. Even, okay, another great example, Rwanda, Rwanda in Africa, okay? Compare Rwanda, Vietnam, all of these countries with the United States, even Cuba, okay? Rwanda has 1.5, uh, 1,500 cases total in the country. Ohio, which is the same size as Rwanda, Rwanda is a country of about 12 million people, Ohio is about 12 million people, they're 1,500 1, cases a day in Ohio, okay? So, so we have a situation where there are countries all around the world that have way less resources than the United States that have gotten it under control. So the good news is it's possible. Like it's, in fact, for us, we should be able to do it. It's, it's not something that is like this insurmountable thing. Now, the question is, how do we get there, right? Because we've had such a, like, such a you know, problem in a way with, with this whole kind of process, you know, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of states that need to kind of feel the impact you know, individually. And, and this does, I think, go back a lot to what you're saying about individual behavior, right? Um, because we don't have that great messaging, because we don't have that kind of overall feeling of unity that a lot of other countries and areas around the world have had, we got to build that up kind of grassroots style, in my opinion, right? I think it's through um, us as individuals taking responsibility and then us working with our communities, us working with our friends and our families to try to do our best to really kind of spread that word about what is good, safe behavior. And this is the thing, right? Like social distancing, and I, I prefer, by the way, physical, I, I prefer this from physical yeah. distancing. Yeah. Because I think the social fabric is more important than ever. We need Absolutely. our friends. We need our community Absolutely. more than ever. So, so actually, you know, but you know, we can still do the social things. We just got to not spread germs. <laughs> That's literally it. You know, we just don't want to spread, you know, you know, cause, cause the infection to spread. But, um, you know, the whole point about the physical distancing and, and all of those behavior changes, it's about ideally bringing down the case numbers so that you can successfully contact trace and, and do the widespread testing. Right. So one of the problems right now in places like California, Texas, Florida, et cetera, 
the, the number of cases is just out of control, right? There's too much spread. You basically, when you're outside, like if I were in Texas or, or California or in LA County, for example, this is where it was like in Massachusetts, you know, in March. When I go out, when I, if, I, if I did have to go outside in March in Massachusetts, I just assume that everybody has it, right? Because there's just so much community spread. It's just, it's just really you know, kind of wilding out. The whole point of like shelter at place or staying at home is to bring the number of cases down. Right, you gotta remember the virus, it spreads by, it doesn't grow on its own. It has to, it needs humans to pass it around. If, if, you know, if you ran through kind of a theoretical exercise of everybody on planet Earth right now, if we were somehow magically able to just not go anywhere and kind of be fed and just stay home for like a month, we would crush COVID-19 on planet Earth, okay? Because if the virus is nowhere else to spread and we all, we all get, the people that are sick from it get better from it, or unfortunately if they pass away, then it's over. That's it. The virus has no, no other place to go, right? So the whole point of the shelter at place is not to do it forever. The point of it is to bring the cases down to as close to zero as possible. Then as you start to reopen, which is what, again, South Korea has done, New Zealand, Vietnam, all of these countries, now the number of cases is really, really low. So you can manage the whole process of doing that surgical test and trace process that I've been talking about. If you think about what shelter at place is or, or kind of locking down and shutting down a, a, a country, it's basically, it's like the nuclear option. It's like chemotherapy. It's like, you don't know, there's so many cases, you don't know anymore where they are because we don't have enough capacity to test everybody. So the only thing you can do is just get everybody to stay at home and, and basically let the virus start to die out. And that's kind of, you know, we were chatting before we hopped on, you know, is shelter at place going to be a possibility for um, places like California or, or other states? Um, I hope not, but the key metric is ultimately going to be um, uh, looking at, at hospitals, basically. So I think, I think you remember, you know, back when this all started, there was this refrain around flatten the curve, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so flatten the curve was basically about the idea that if you have too many cases at any one time, you overwhelm hospitals. And if you overwhelm hospitals, then you don't have a functioning society, right? If, if, if you can't, there are no hospital beds and if anybody has a heart attack, there's no bed for them in, in the hospital, you know, you're screwed, right? You, you don't have a functioning, a functioning um, society at that point. And that is basically what you're looking for in terms of whether or not you ultimately, a state is gonna have to shut down. How are the hospitals doing? That's what you gotta look at. LA County right now, fortunately, the positivity rate, which is one of the key metrics you're looking at, the percent of people that are testing positive is like 8.5% and that number is steady. And the number of, and right now there are enough hospital beds in LA County to, to kind of, you know, sustain for now. But if it starts getting worse from there, if you start getting more community spread, that's when I think, um, you know, the public health officials would start recommending, um, you know, to shelter a place again. So I really hope we don't get there. And if, again, if we go back to those individual behavior changes, then hopefully we won't have to. Totally. Um, so, you know, in the beginning of everything, I think there was a lot of, um, I guess, Paranoia is probably the best way to put it because, you know, you're dealing with this brand new unknown enemy, um, yeah. not 100% sure quite um, like how it travels and how it's contagious. You know, is it contagious purely through droplets? Is it airborne? Do I get it from touching my groceries? You know what I mean? So like, it's just yeah. like, I don't even want to go do anything. So, uh, <laughs> you know, from your perspective in terms of, uh, be, I don't want to call it beginning of COVID. Well, sure, let's call it that just for our purposes. Like when it when it became, you know, this public uh, scare worldwide, um, has anything changed from what we were kind of 
quote unquote paranoid of in the beginning? Yeah. And, or is it still like, nope, all those things are still the best practices. Like, you know, you know, disinfect yeah. all your groceries, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. Is that, yeah. has anything changed, yeah. I guess, in terms of what has now become knowledge? Yeah. Yeah. Such a great question. Um, I think we have learned a lot and there's been a lot of really great studies. So I, I want to couch it. We've learned a lot, but there's also so much we don't know. Okay. Sure. So, so both things are true at the same time, but certainly compared to March, we definitely know a lot more. So COVID-19, it's basically, it's largely an indoor disease, right? It's largely, you can think about your, your likelihood of getting infected basically as a function of your exposure, like the dose of, of viral particles that you might get and time. So in other words, if you are over at my spot right now here in my, in my room here, you know, chilling with me, and again, I don't have any windows open, it's a closed room, then if you and I are talking and as we continue to talk, there are respiratory droplets going, there's, and let's say, I'm, uh, let's say I'm infected, I could be asymptomatic, for example, and there's respiratory droplets coming out, over time, your risk of infection is going to get higher and higher. Now, if you just are popping in to like drop off some groceries and you just like drop off a package or whatever, and then you, you hop out, that's not a lot of time in my space, but if you're coming over and kicking it with me and we're hanging out and we're playing uh, you know, some video games or whatever, and we do that for a bunch of hours, your likelihood, your risk of infection goes higher and higher, okay? So it's really about that. It's about, like, about the exposure, the amount of virus you might get exposed to and the amount of time. So one of the great things about being outside is when you're outside, you know, you're, you're basically kind of in infinite air, right? So if I, you know, cough or if I talk, you know, I got those respiratory droplets, it kind of instantly gets diluted because you're outside. So you're not in a closed space where that, that those, those particles can stay and circulate around, right? So, so that's why outside, again, you can still get infected outside for sure. So that's another key thing. Now, if you and I were outside, but, you know, like talking face to face really, really close, the dose, that, that exposure dose could be higher because we're very, very close together. That's why keeping that physical distance is important. So, so all of those elements, I think, are, are a lot more clear now. Like earlier on, I was really worried about like, you know, can I go for a run or can I go for a walk outside if I'm around other people? You know, what's the risk there? And I think over time we learned that, you know, even though, you know, you could be running and huffing and puffing outside, um, as long as you're not close to other people, your risk of infection is really, really low. And so, so that's, that's one really big part of it. I, I think also the other thing we've learned a lot about is that the, the transmission that you get from touching surfaces is also less than we thought, right? So the, now, again, I'm still pretty careful when it comes to like groceries and whatever. Like if it's something I'm going to touch a lot, like I'll still definitely wash my hands when I come in. But, you know, when I, when I first was, uh, when, when stuff was going first uh, taken off in the pandemic, I was like literally every single thing coming from the grocery <laughs> store, I was wiping it all down, you know what I mean? Being really, yeah. really serious about that. I'm, I'm, I'm more lax about that part now because again, the, the risk of transmission from physical surfaces, it's still there, but you know, something like the grocery store or like the mail, you know, there, it's just a lot less risky. Again, as long as you wash your hands um, before you touch your face, because it's not, you can't get infected from, from your hands. You get infected through your eyes and your nose and your mouth. So, so it's like, if you touch a surface that's got some virus on it, that is still live, and then you touch your eyes, or your nose, and your mouth, that's when you might get some infection. So, but I think we're learning that that route of infection is less. That's just a little bit less than we thought. And it's much more about, um, about being in close proximity to people, which is why the mask is so important, right? So, so one of the other like really big things we learn in is that the, how severe an illness you get 
is like very strongly likely on the dose of virus you're getting. So in other words, if I'm if I'm uh, you know sick and I've got it and I'm asymptomatic, let's say, but I'm still shedding virus, and if I like cough on you, right? That's like way worse than if I'm talking six feet away from you, right? Because just the amount of virus you're getting is a lot less. Now, from me wearing a mask and then with you wearing a mask, then that basically significantly decreases the amount of virus that I potentially am putting out from me to you, both directions. So, so you know, earlier too, there's this idea that, oh, I'm wearing a mask just to protect you. But actually, the mask is helpful for yourself too, because- sure you are reducing the amount of virus that's, that you may be inhaling from, from somebody else near you. So both people wearing masks is one of the simplest, simplest ways to, to bring that infection rate down. And I should say too, on that point, shout outs to Hong Kong, okay? There's a really amazing study in, in The Lancet that came out a little while ago. Hong Kong, um, I'll look at the numbers here, 2,132 cases total in Hong Kong. 2,000 cases total, right? 14 deaths total. The study was looking at Hong Kong, and the, re- the main reason why Hong Kong was able to get such low numbers is just because they have almost universal mask wearing. Like 95% of their, plus of their population, when they're outside, they've got masks on. And so when you've got that strong mask wearing, and Japan too, Japan also very similar. Um, it's not quite as good as Hong Kong, but still compared to the US. It's got about 26,000 cases, almost, you know, almost 1,000 deaths total. Also handled it just with masks. So I think those are some of the big things we're learning are just how important masks are. And, you know, if you can do it, you know, get outside, right? Those are, I think, some of the, some of the, big, the big lessons. And if you're going to be inside, ventilate. That's the other thing. If you're inside, open up those windows, get that good air circulation going. Anything you can do to reduce that, the concentration of a virus in the air. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the, the theory that wearing masks is unhealthy because you're breathing in your own carbon monoxide and they're saying that that causes all kinds of like health issues as well because that's kind of the, the the theory against mask wearing is what i've heard is like no that's you're breathing in your own carbon monoxide that's that's bad for you what are your thoughts towards that yeah so so carbon monoxide carbon dioxide oxygen um those it's it's gas and those gases are basically just way small way 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 smaller than you know the little the the holes that you have in in a uh, a mask so so essentially you know you, you know there's just no validity to that those particular arguments again you know look at doctors right there are medical doctors that are before covid-19 that are wearing masks all the time in hospitals and you know people can wear masks and and you can be healthy and fine wearing a mask right and you don't have to wear a mask all the time the only time you got to do it is just when you're around people right that's 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 the thing right you know going back to just what you were saying earlier about about this kind of concept of freedom like we do things all of the time to basically keep each other safe, right? We wear seatbelts, we obey the speeding limit. We, um, um, you know, we, when, when we're at uh, restaurants, restaurants don't serve us like, you know, food that is got bacteria on it. There's, there's all kinds of regulations and things that we do every single day to keep each other safe, right? So wearing a mask, if, I, if my trade-off is like wear a mask when I'm out in, near people or in a business or inside versus like having to shut down economies or not have schools function, I mean, I'll take the trade off any second of a day, right? Like this is not that much to ask. It's like wearing a seatbelt in a car. It's not that much to ask. We do it every day, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so um, yeah, that's the frame. I well, uh, dude, I, I want to actually bring emphasis to that seatbelt analogy. <laughs> I think that's a very, it, it's, it's, 
it's so it parallels this you know what i mean um because no yeah. one thinks twice about like no i don't want to wear a seatbelt it's my you're impinging on my freedom you know what i mean it's like mm -hmm. well, yeah, duh. yeah like if i get in a car accident i'm not trying to fly out of my window or nor you know what i mean like right. it's to protect yourself uh, essentially from you know getting more harm from an accident than you would get if you weren't wearing a seatbelt and the yeah. mask is pretty much the same same theory you know it's to protect yourself as well as the other person and you know i've kind of heard that you know this is kind of a little bit of an extreme it's like if you're not going to wear a mask then you shouldn't wear a seatbelt either you know but like, to think <laughs> of it in that way you're like okay now it makes a little actually bit actually man i think a better because the, the seatbelt in a way um if you really want uh, wearing a seatbelt if you're willing to wear a seatbelt it should be even easier for you than wearing a mask. And the reason is because seatbelt is ultimately protecting yourself, right? Like it's about your individual protection wearing the seatbelt. Like if you don't wear a seatbelt, you're not necessarily gonna kill other people. Whereas if you don't wear a mask, not only can you hurt yourself, you could potentially kill other people. I actually think the better analogy is traffic lights, right? If you have a situation where it's like, only some people are going to obey the traffic lights and everybody else, like, you know, you obey the traffic light, you know, it's like the whole, like, oh, I'll wear a mask um, if I want to, but, you know, you wear a mask if you want to. It's like, it doesn't work that way, man. It's like, if only some people obeyed the traffic signals, right. then, you know, it's like, cool, I'm going to stop at a red light, but other people are like, whatever, I'm going to drive through red lights. That's, that's for you guys to, you know, I'm not going to do the traffic light thing. You guys yeah. do the traffic light thing, right? Then you could kill other people, right? right? And that's what happens if you don't wear a mask. Like, you literally can kill and impact other people, right? Sure. Yeah, so oh, that's good. It's very clear in that way. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Meister Watches. They are truly masters of their craft. From quality materials and masterful timepieces to functional lifestyle accessories for the movers and shakers of the worlds they collide with, Meister is doing it. They've collaborated with some of the biggest brands in sports, music, comic book, car culture, and pop culture. We've actually had the pleasure of collaborating with them on a timepiece a few years back. I rock their ambassador watch. This one's my everyday watch. This one's my favorite. They are for our culture and for those that are on a constant mission to master their craft. Hop on to mstrwatches.com and pop in the discount code KINJUSPOD to receive 25% off your entire purchase at checkout. And this discount is exclusive to the Kinjas podcast. You won't find this discount anywhere. Hop on to mstrwatches.com and rock with the illest. This show is officially brought to you by Kinesthetic. Hop on the store.kinjas.com and plug in the promo code podcast spelled with the K at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. We're always trying to bring you guys the illest gear for all your movement in the shadows needs. Follow us on Instagram at kin.aesthetic. Like us on Facebook at kinesthetic.brand. Yeah, so, um, okay, with that, man, again, I have so many questions and there's so many, <laughs> you know, topics to, you know, we might have to do part two and three of this. But, like, um, you know, so where we're at now, medicine is probably, you know, outside of masks, things that we can kind of physically do, physical distancing, wearing your mask, washing your hands. Those are things that we can um, actually yep. physically do to kind of maintain more safety. But everyone's looking at, like, where is medicine in all of this? You know, you mentioned some things yeah. earlier, you know, science is working at a level where um, only time will tell, but you said success is guaranteed. We just don't know yes. when, right? Correct. Um, yeah. Where medicine is at right now, um, how far in your opinion are we in terms of the quote unquote vaccine that yeah. will yeah. cure this thing? Yeah. So, so, you know, there's a lot of really encouraging studies. We've got, you know, 
one to 200 um, different vaccines that are in um, clinical trials. So clinical trials are basically the process of testing whether or not a vaccine is safe and efficacious. Those are the two things. Does it work and is it safe? And actually we do clinical trials also for therapies too. Same question, is it safe and does it work, right? And the reason why it takes time is because you need to do studies to see over time, are there impacts? The last thing, and I think one of the worst things that could happen is that if you put a therapy out there or if you put a vaccine out there, that was not safe. If it actually made people more sick, then you know, you've just, not only have you made the problem worse, if you did get an effective vaccine later, you've destroyed trust. Right? You've affected people's trust in the ability to have actually have actually taken the vaccine. So, so I think you know you're hearing a lot of different things about you know what we're hearing in the news too. There there is like a bunch of good news, and I think the good news is pointing towards the fact that some of the early indicators are positive. That some of the and there's a number of these again different vaccines that are in clinical trials that are showing that you are getting what's called an immune response. They're producing the right type of these proteins called antibodies that ultimately are, are a big part of our immune system's way to, to attack these, these different foreign invaders. Um, SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus that causes COVID-19. So, um, so that's all very positive. Now, the problem is though, producing like hundreds of millions to billions of doses of a vaccine and then getting it actually deployed to the public all of that is really, really hard. And, you know, we've seen this uh, around the world, um, especially in parts of the world where, um, you know, trying to deploy certain types of therapeutics can be really challenging, you know, even considering places like the West that, or like, you know, the United States or Europe or, or parts of Asia. So um, there's a, still a many, many challenges to go before we can get um, enough people vaccinated to really have that larger impact. Because we all want to go back to, you know, some semblance of, of what normal is, right? You know, whatever that might be, being able to, you know, socialize with our friends and, um, you know, just just have that, those kind of socioeconomic functions that we're used to. And, and I think it's both of those things, right? Having really good treatments and having really good vaccines, those two things combined over time will get us there. And so on the treatment side, if you look at where we are now compared to March, we've got some things that are kind of working. So there's this antiviral drug called remdesivir, which um, is, is one of those types of drugs that is called, it's a repurposed drug. It's a drug that was approved for something else. Actually, it was used for Ebola, actually, that was uh, effective at, at slowing down the replication of the, of the Ebola virus. And so it's already shown to be safe. But then the question was, is it efficacious? Is it actually useful against COVID-19? And it turns out that it had quite a good impact. So that's now one of the standards of care. One of the problems with remdesivir is we're running out of it. We don't have a lot of it. So again, it's not just like, oh, did I have the medicine? It's like, how do I make like hundreds of millions of doses of it and then get it out to the right people that need it, right? And so this again requires a lot of planning, which unfortunately, um, at least in the United States, um, you know, because of the real abysmal federal response, we don't have a lot of that planning right now. So it's kind of a shit show to be honest. But, um, but that's one really good one. Another one that's emerged is something called dexamethasone, which is basically another type of treatment that's used. It's, it's kind of like an anti-inflammatory anti medication. And that's been found to have a really good impact on, on uh, some of the worst uh, kind of most severe cases of, of COVID-19. It's, it's helped to reduce the mortality rate there. So compared to March, you know, we've already got two things that are, are making things better, which is also why I think we're starting to see um, the, the, case the case fatality rate a little bit lower than it was in March when, you know, New York was like crazy, was off the hook, you know, the amount of, amount of death per cases that was happening. So 
And, and that's only going to get better, right? That's only going to get better. One thing that we're going to start seeing um, increasingly, um, hopefully this year, but for sure 2021, are, are basically these what are called convales convalescent antibody treatments. So the antibodies I mentioned, they're these, they're kind of in your immune system. They're one of the key molecules that goes and, and finds the, the virus and kind of knocks it out. And so when your immune system, and the point of a vaccine is basically to stimulate your immune system to produce those antibodies it, yourself. Now, if you can't get your own immune system to make it, I can go manufacture those antibodies, right? So one of the most old school treatments that people have done is literally to take the blood from somebody that um, has recovered, that has the antibodies, and then you give it to somebody that's sick. You literally give them the blood. And by giving them the blood, you're basically giving them these antibodies, which will go in, find the, find the virus and knock it out. And so now, and, and that's happening in hospitals right now, it's literally like blood, blood transfusions. But we're getting to the point in 2021 where we're going to be able to manufacture those, those antibodies without having to harvest the blood from another person. And that's going to be a really powerful therapeutic as well. So again, we gotta, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there, which is why we all have to work collectively to bring the number of cases down. We need to buy ourselves time. We need to buy the, the scientific community and the research community time to get all of this stuff out to the public because it's coming. It's coming, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the hope. That's the hope. What are, um, you know, your thoughts in terms of, you know, great, if we get the medicine, um, you know, the vaccine, then, you know, that's kind of said or thought to be the cure. That's the answer to all of this. And then there are people that, I mean, I've been hearing people that have tested positive twice. Like they've gotten yes. it, gotten yes. better, and then tested again and yeah. positive again. And then there's also, yeah. you know, like maybe the, you know, the virus never fully left you or, you know, maybe there's yeah. a little bit left or, you know what I mean? What are your thoughts yeah. towards contracting yeah. the coronavirus twice? Yeah. Reinfection. Yeah. Really, really great point. Super great point. So this is, again, I think just the point to reemphasize with everybody, right? This virus, at least in its interaction with humans, brand new to planet earth, right? Humans and our ability to understand what the impact of the virus is over time. We're all learning right now because People, you know, people weren't infected with this thing until pretty recently. So in terms of long-term effects, we just don't know right now. There are now increasing studies though, that are looking at the amount of time that the immunity lasts. And it looks like there may be a couple of factors. So one part is how sick did you get? Did you actually have a very strong um, kind of immune response? And if you had a strong immune response and got better, then your immunity may last longer. Okay. Whereas if you were, had a milder case, Right, or if you were asymptomatic and maybe didn't get symptoms at all and, and it was still pretty mild, then you, the, the, the duration of your immune response may be less. But even that, we're not totally sure because the immune system is very complicated. There's those antibodies I talked about, but there are also these T cells, these B cells. So we're still trying to understand what that is, but the likelihood that you will be reinfected or could get reinfected is high. So, 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 we, you know, you, you hear a lot about this virus being called the coronavirus, right? But there's actually a whole family of viruses that are called coronaviruses. There's, there's about, I think, uh, uh, like six or seven of them. And a bunch of those coronaviruses cause the common cold, okay? So the likelihood that you or I or anybody that's had a, been infected by a coronavirus before is actually pretty high, but all it was was a cold. Now, there are two nastier versions, types of coronaviruses. One is called SARS, the very first SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, and then another one called MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Those two are way more serious and way more deadly. Now, they were not as infectious as SARS-CoV-2, which is the current virus we're dealing with now, but we've had to deal with these coronaviruses before. And what's gnarly about the, the first two, one, the ones that cause the common cold, you could get that same virus multiple times in a year, right? So if I got the cold, I got better, 
catch the same virus again, I got sick again, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that we already know coronaviruses can do that. SARS and MERS, you had longer lasting immunity. If you got infected with SARS and you recovered, the immune response there was typically more like a year. So you'd have a longer time in which you'd have immunity. So what we don't know yet about SARS-CoV-2 is just how long that immunity lasts. Is it a couple months? Is it a year? And again, it's likely dependent on a lot of factors. It's slightly dependent on your own personal health, but it's also a tad dependent, I think, on the viral dose, like how severe a case did you get? And so what that means is, as we develop the, the, uh, the vaccines and the, uh, um, the therapies, like there's some, some diseases where you get vaccinated once or like once every like seven years. Like you get a tetanus shot, you get that like once every whatever, like seven years, right? And you're good. The flu is an example of a virus that mutates, it changes a lot. And so that's why we all get a flu shot every year because there are different varieties of flu. So in a worst case scenario with, with, um, with COVID-19 is that you need to get more, instead of it being, you know, you get one vaccine and then boom, you're done. It could be that you need to do it like, you know, once a year or twice a year or something like that, um, just to make sure that you maintain your immunity to it. So that part we don't know yet, but um, but again, um, you know, I'm very optimistic, right? Like, you know, once we yeah. kind of have um, a good therapy or a vaccine figured out, like, well, it's just a matter of how much you, you need to do it over time. Yeah. I mean, as you talk about the cold and the flu, something that, you know, we get often, right? Maybe even twice yeah. in a year. And yeah. then, you know, there are those individuals like myself, I don't get sick very often. I don't really get the cold. Um, if and when I do, I'll kick it within a, a couple of days, a week or yeah. at most. And then, you know, flu, I don't remember the last time I've gotten the flu. So yeah. um, do, you, do you think that it, you kind of said, it, like, based on the individual, based on their actual, like, health, their, their immune yeah. system, their, their daily habits that, you know, whether it has anything to do with their diet, their physical exercise, even genetics, yeah. right? Um, yep. Do you think that there are things that we can do to better protect ourselves from the severity of contracting, let's say, uh, COVID-19? Like if I am an overall healthier person, yeah. do I have a better chance of not getting the, the severe COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So what we do know right now is for sure it's more deadly in older people. Like that's definitely like one thing we're seeing very strongly. And it's also more deadly in with certain types of what are called comorbidities. So, you know, if you do, if you are obes obesity actually is a very big one. So that that also goes back to kind of just, you know, physical fitness and health. So and, and this is again one of the gnarly parts about COVID-19 is like people like the medical community is just blown away by the array of symptoms right? Like it's like, this is not like when people first started getting it, it was like, Oh, it's, it's like a respiratory illness, more like the flu. But as we all know, you know, losing your sense of smell, like all of the inflammation in the body, all of the different organs that it attacks, it's very, very intense. And part of what, what we're looking at is that, you know, again, it, it also may it also may leverage your immune system to actually travel throughout your body, which is also a little bit intense and kind of crazy. So what we don't know yet is what are some of the key factors that predispose you to more severe cases? It looks like there's some correlations that may connect to blood type. So if you're certain blood types, you may be a little bit more prone to a more severe case. And, but we don't know exactly why, but we just see some of these correlations. So one thing, you know, a correlation means that, you know, these two things are connected. Causation means I know why, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know why yet, but we know these things are related. And so, and, and the other one of really scary things I think for me about the disease is even if you are like really healthy, right? If even if you're a person that does not have um, other comorbidities or other conditions, you've seen, you know, young, healthy people die or have very, very severe cases that are impacting them, you know, months and months later. 
right? Um, you know, to give you an example, right? Like there are viruses that we all have in our body right now. Like, you know, if you've got like cold sores, for example, in your mouth, like I do, I've had those in my mouth. That's a version of a type of a herpes virus that you actually don't get cured from. Like you just have it you know, circulating and then over time it can activate. And we actually have a lot of viruses in our bodies that, that can activate from time to time. And the worst case scenario was SARS, was SARS-CoV-2. And I think we're starting to see that, right? We're starting to see people that are sick for like months. They're like months and months along and they're still sick. How some of these viruses, can it just hang around for a long time or even your whole life, right? Mm. We don't know, right? We don't know. So these things connected back to even your own individual health, it's, it's uncertain, which is why I think, you know, erring on the side of caution right now is so important. And, you know, one of the, the other kind of studies that for me is very alarming, even for asymptomatic people, people that do not develop symptoms, people, there's a study in China looking, uh, looking under a CAT scans uh, for, for asymptomatic folks, and about a third of those people still had these opacities, basically some kind of lung damage by, by CAT scan. So even if you don't have symptoms, you can still be, be getting hurt and still may have longer term health effects. So I think, I think you know, of course, Common sense says, do everything you can to be healthy, you know, keep your, you know, eat your veggies, like exercise, drink a lot of water, um, do all the standard things to stay healthy. But even with that, you don't know if that's going to protect you, you know, ultimately, yeah. right? Which is why, um, you know, maintaining the physical distance and being as careful as you can is, is uh, you know, the ultimate way to prevent the spread. Yeah, no, thanks for um, outlining it in that way, because I think that's the you know, there's this false sense of security that, you know, younger folk are kind of like, whoa, like, it's not going to affect me. Like, it's going to affect the people who have these pre-existing conditions or pre- people who right. are over 65. And it's like, I'm kind of almost thinking that you're, it's, you're impervious to it, but that's not yeah. the case at all. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned this, like, um, you know, we don't know how long this disease lingers in your body. Um, it, it may just kind of be here. Like the cold is just here. The flu is just here. So yeah. we have to kind of, uh, accept the fact that there may be a world where we just live with, um, COVID-19 yeah. SARS-CoV-2, right? We, it just may be a thing. We may just need to continually get our vaccines, get our, you know, medicine up and that, you know, it, it strikes, it can stir up fear. It can stir up anxiety and, um, I think there's a lot that's going on, even on a psychological level for people. Um, you know, I think, I think the human psyche has been like forever affected by this. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to yeah. go to go back to behaviors pre COVID-19. I'm like, oh, I don't need to wash my hands like all the time. <laughs> like, actually, I'm probably going to do this forever. And so in terms of, you know, the, the social behaviors, um, moving forward. And then that, you know, like, as you, you mentioned earlier about the economy, so the socioeconomic um, effects that this is now having, and as we move forward, as we go into reopenings, you know, our business hinges, we, we function out of a space where, you know, tr- up until now, it's been in a studio with students, uh, yeah. sweating, droplets everywhere, you know, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do, how do we get back to yeah. like, a sense yeah. of like normalcy? Um, yeah. You know, in in terms of yeah, I guess from your your opinion of how to do that safely, what is uh, a foreseeable timetable as yeah. to where we can work up to that? Like, what are your yep. thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, again, right? If we had handled our shit properly. 
that could be right now. Like you can go to Vietnam and you can go to a dance class in Vietnam. You can go to South yeah. Korea, go, go to Taiwan. You know, it's like all these places, they, their clubs are open. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like literally it is normal life. Right. So yeah. we can have that now. <laughs> right. It's, this is not like some far off future thing. Like, like we could have those things. Right. And this, this again, just goes back to kind of public health 101. If we get our shit together in this country, we can have a, a functioning open economy. Right. And so, so what does that take? Number one, it takes bringing our cases down, right? We got to bring our cases down. And that was what March and April was about. Right now, now this is, this is one contrast, right? Look at the Northeast, which is where I am, right? I'm in Massachusetts. You look in the Northeast, New England, tri-state area, New Jersey, New York, uh, Connecticut, we got hit hard. We got hit really, really hard in the start of this thing. And I think part of the trauma of having gone through like, you know, what, what was an, really an incredibly traumatic couple of months. When I go outside in Massachusetts, by and large, like in my community, but just in general, when I, when I go around, there's almost 100% mask wearing. Like when I go out, it's, it's very, very good. Like I go to the store, everybody's got masks on. Like there are no fights about like, should I wear a mask or not wear a mask? And it's like, people take it seriously. And if you look at our curves, right? We, we had, you know, about 1,500 cases a day in, uh, in Massachusetts, which is at our peak, which is what, where Ohio is right now, what I was saying earlier. Now in Massachusetts, it's like tens of cases, right, a day. And the number of deaths is like about 10 and under per day, right? So we literally, we did what other countries did. Uh, uh, we did in Massachusetts what other countries have been doing, which is we got crazy, we locked it down, and then it went down to basically zero. And now we're, we're, we're like... We, we are one of the safest places to be in at right now in the United States, in the Northeast, okay? Mm -hmm. So, so we have handled it well. And Massachusetts in particular, we're opening nice and slow, nice and slow, right? We still have not gotten um, our indoor dining yet, so you can eat, eat inside, but we've been taking it really slow. And I think this is where California messed up, right? California, y'all were doing the great thing at, at first as well with us, but then you open too fast, right? California opened too fast, too quick. I know there are a lot of political pressures and other reasons why, but then you start getting that crazy community spread again. So it's easy to lose it, right? Because this disease is so infectious, but if you do it cautious, right? I'm optimistic and hopeful that in Massachusetts and in the Northeast, if we play it right, we can be like a South Korea, right? We can kind of slowly get there where, you know, because even as we've been getting into this phase two of reopening now, so, you know, we have outdoor dining and, and um, uh, now like the museums have just started to open up, but we're taking it slow. Right, you do a little bit of opening, you see how it goes, and then hopefully those indicators are still where we are. And what are the indicators, right? We're looking at the, the number of hospitalizations, we're looking at the percent of infection. This is really, really critical, right? If you do a ton of testing and a lot of the people that are coming back are, are infected, then you have a sense that there's a lot of community spread. Like I said, LA County right now is like 8.5%, which is, which is, which is you know, not New York crazy. New York crazy was like 20, 30, even higher percent. And that's kind of where, where Florida is, is headed right now. Massachusetts is like 1.7%, right? It's like very, very low. And that's where you want to get to. When you have those low numbers, then you can start reopening, do stuff safely. And then the other thing is people get used to it. People get used to their habits, right? So like we kind of know how to behave in Massachusetts. And so I'm optimistic that as we get to being able to open up, you know, having things like dance studios and other places open up more, um, we, can, we can get there safely, right? So, so that's the hope, right? Hopefully, you know, my hope for LA is that you know, y'all are able to bring the number of cases down, hopefully, and again, just wearing masks. If everybody, if you could get like close to, this is like the Hong Kong analogy, you can get like 95% mask wearing, that might be able to knock it out, right? 
So bring those number of cases down and then you can slowly start to reopen and, um, and this time do it, do it safe, right? Do it safe. And then, you know, again, I mean, I think the Kinjas, y'all gotta be doing your thing, you know, the world needs you doing your art. So, so I, I hope as well that, you know, we can, we can get back there as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, the trust trust me when I say we we are <laughs> doing whatever we possibly can to be like, come on guys, let's get this thing under control because yeah, we you know, we are trying. I mean, not even obviously on on the artistic side, this is something that we love to do. We've been doing it for years because we love it. But um, you know, just to be let's just keep it real, like there not just our business, but the, the there's industries industries are affected by this where we are literally handicapped you know our hands are tied behind our backs we can't do anything because of the fact that yeah. it's just not safe to you know and then so you know we're you know we're thank god we we have our creativity we're not only does that get applied to our art but creativity in terms of do we adjust yeah. things in the ways yeah. that we've been doing things and migrate yeah. things from the the indoor studios to you know outdoor spaces or smaller groups that, you know, or, yeah. or teaching classes yeah. digitally, you know, things like that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We, we for sure want to get back to, you know, that, that normal life. And, and yeah. you know, we, we have to be accepting of the time that it's going to take. And, you know, patience yeah. is, uh, yeah. is the key here. Um, yeah. You know, so well, I'm curious, are you guys able to do like outdoor classes and things like that? Are you guys able to make that happen? Cause, cause that by itself can, can do a lot and make it a lot safer. Yeah. yeah. We haven't done it yet. So, you know, we're at the complex here. We have an outdoor alleyway where, you know, there is open air that, you know, that we get yep. some good airflow. So we, again, we're, we're trying to be safer than jump ahead of the gun. You know, we're not right. like, Oh, all right. we need to do is now take it outdoor. And we don't know whether that's even the, if, the way right. to go you know for ourselves internally we've all been quarantining on our own and if we do meet up to shoot you know smaller little projects it's all yep. with the trust of like we know what we, where everyone's been yep. you know we yep. do yep. our you know we do our sign-ins daily we have our temperature guns we have our you yeah know, sanitizers Good. in every station so we're doing what we can but you know yep. we're obviously not open to the public because we can't right. allow the risk of traffic yeah. that we don't know where it's coming from at least for yeah. us we know yeah. where we're all contained so yeah. the contact yeah. tracing would be a lot you know easier. yeah 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 so you know we're doing what we can but you know i'm so glad that we're talking and you know i'm i'm, I'm excited for this to go out because i think there's so much valuable information that um you know that you're putting um out and that you know is going to debunk a lot of even the the myths and so with that, you know, I, in, I guess just to kind of like, um, you know, start to wrap this up, we, yeah. we talked about the um, misinformation, the division of messaging, that there's this school of thought and then this school of thought. And I think that's really <laughs> kind of meeting in the middle. It's either you believe that science is correct or like, nah, science doesn't make any sense at all. Like, uh, okay, so, um, you know, what would you recommend uh, to follow, um, it, whether it's media outlets uh, or like where, where would you suggest people look to find yeah. the information to really take seriously? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great question. You know, 
I think in general, actually, you know, there is a lot of very good coverage, actually. So, you know, I, I think that there unfortunately has been a very kind of strong um, conspiracy theory kind of thing that's been going on that um, um, to me, honestly, is very alarming. And, and but that does, I think, go back to this this earlier point I was making about just having inconsistent messaging. Right. You know, we, we do unfortunately have a you know, president that is really into conspiracy theories like the dude is just into it. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from, but he loves that, you know. And, um, and you know, a good part of the country is starting to really kind of get into that, which, which is unfortunate. But, you know, I do think if you look at, at the, the public health officials, you know, a lot of the folks that have been out there, I mean, you know, Dr. Fauci, he gets a lot of, uh, you know, flack from certain parts of the, the country. But, you know, the man is, is an infectious disease legend. And what I really appreciate about him is that he tells it like it is. Like, he doesn't He's, he's not a person that's just trying to give you the good news. You know, he's going to say if it's good or if it's bad. And, and it's a very, um, you know, I think there's a lot of really, really great public health experts and epidemiologists. And the public health experts, it's like almost unified the perspective. Like it's, it's not like there's like, you know, I mean, there are a few voices that are getting very, very outsized focus that um, unfortunately are kind of amplified a lot by, by conspiracy land. But if you look kind of, you know, on, uh, on the whole, public health, health experts from really reputable institutions, you know, John Hopkins, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard Public Health School, um, even the center, CDC itself, actually. Like, I, I think another thing for people just to understand is that, you know, science, the whole, the whole scientific process involves having a theory, testing it, and if it's wrong, then you adjust, right? So, you know, one thing that happened earlier on was this whole notion of should we be wearing masks or not, right? Which, which again was was note was really was a um, I think a, a mistake. Like the WHO and some of the organizations earlier on were like, hey, you shouldn't wear masks. Now the reason why they were focusing on that was because there was a mask shortage, right? There were just not that many of them. So the idea was we should really be preserving those for our medical professionals. That was the one of the core reasoning at the time. Now in other parts of the world where you have consistent messaging. If you have somebody that's communicating with the public regularly, you can say like, hey, you know, now that we're learning more about the virus, actually it turns out that masks are really, really effective because that's what happens with science. So you evolve as you get more evidence, as you get more data, as you, as you understand more. So one reason I really like Dr. Fauci a lot, if you listen to him kind of unedited, he's very cautious. He's never just like, oh, this is 100% this or this is 100% that. He really is very cautious in how he talks. And I think, you know, the people that are, um, that are, I think, communicating good informations, they're not speaking in like, a, oh, I know everything, right? All of us are speaking in the scientific community from a perspective that this virus is new. Like, we just don't know so many things. Like, that's why I said, you know, earlier, we've learned a lot, but there's so much we don't know. And anybody that claims to know everything just doesn't know what they're talking about because this thing is brand new, right? Yeah. So you hear people saying like, oh, it's safe to open schools. It's like, we, it's not going to hurt kids. Like, uh, how do we know? Really? Like, you know, yeah, we have some early data about that, but you know, you need more data. You need more time to really understand it well. So anyways, all that to say, um, I think that there's a lot of great public health experts that um, you can follow, um, you know, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, and again, I, I think by and large, um, a lot of the, the kind of major news outlets and a lot of the news outlets that you read, um, New York Times, et cetera, you know, there's really good information out there that that's pretty consistent across the board. Um, so, so, you know, take heart in that. And, um, and yeah, man, we'll get through this. We're going to yeah. get through this. Yeah. We're going to get through this. Um, yeah, no, I, again, dude, I, I can go on forever asking questions <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I'll, I'll probably do another check-in with you, you know, a little bit later down so we can kind of like, do I'd love another, to. 
uh, Snapchat. And thank you again, man. This is so helpful, um, you know, for myself as I have my personal questions to, you know, we just need to get um, information that is uh, tried and tested. You know, this is not just your opinion. You know, this is work that you guys are putting in. And, um, you know, it's so, so uh, necessary and valuable. And uh, what I normally ask a lot of my guests, um, or all my guests actually, you know, for the purposes of our show, you know, your golden rule, your life mantra, um, you know, I do want to um, get into like the way that you, you know, think, um, I'm sure comes from a way that you tend to live your life, you know, and is there something that like a guiding principle, something that you kind of like, you know, live by that you would call your golden rule? Ooh, wow. That's a great question. That's a good question. You know, I think right now where I'm at, man, you know, I feel like um, we as individuals and as um, communities and families, you know, you, you look at the whole kind of humankind family on planet Earth. Um, I really wish for all of us just to live a life filled with as much kindness and compassion and understanding for each other as we can. You know, I think, you know, the the big message I think connected both with the virus and the pandemic. And also for me personally, um, you know, we need a lot of healing, right? There's, there's so much pain and suffering and trauma that we've all gone through as individuals that we're going through as communities. Um, you know, right now, you know, we've got black lives matter and we've got this really incredible social change that's happening. That's vibrating. And so much that connects to just trauma and suffering that we've experienced for hundreds of years, you know? So we all got to heal. We all got a lot of healing to do. And we all got to be kind to each other, you know? So, you know, to me, I think, I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is really trying to um, have a lot of empathy for folks, you know, even for the folks that, you know, don't necessarily believe like, oh, should I wear a mask or not wear a mask? I have empathy for those folks a lot, right? Because, you know, there's bad leadership. There's mixed messages coming out. So, you know, it's understandable that you would be confused, right? So I've got a lot of empathy for folks. And I, and I really hope that um, this is my wish kind of individually, but also for connected to the pandemic is that, you know, we all come together, right? Um, you know, we're only on this planet for, for a short time, you know, and, um, you know, our ability to be kind to each other, to be compassionate for, to each other um, is so important. And that's why I think, you know, if you, if you can get that mindset, then you really think it's not about me and it's not about my comfort. It is about other people, right? It is about the fact that I want to be a part of like a country, a part of a world where people care about each other. Right. Um, that's why, you know, I'm a, I'm a, in closing, right. This is, this is, this is the beautiful thing right here, man. I'm wearing this for you. Thank you know, you, like, this, you know, Mike, Mike, when you shared this to me, I like, I like, you know, I'm, even right now I'm kind of emotional, man. Like this is, this is where it's at, you know, this is where it's at. So, you know, shout outs to, to Kinjis for what you all do for the message you're trying to put out there. Cause um, you know, this is what we need right here. This is what we need right here. And I appreciate that. And, you know, I guess, I had another follow-up question, but you kind of just already answered it, even in the way that you summed up your golden rule. And, you know, I, I was going to ask, you know, what would be like, uh, you know, one little thing to prescribe people out there, um, empathy and compassion for, you yeah. know, your fellow human being is the reason why I'm sure you care so much about studying so in depth and doing the research and really digging into this um, with the, the honesty and um, transparent humility that you just even admitted with like with science. It's like, we think this is it. If we find it to be wrong, we adjust it. And then we give you whatever else that we discover. And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, you're, you're doing this for the sake of, bless you, 
for the sake of uh <laughs> and, and that right i'm like so used to like oh shoot it's like oh i forgot i <laughs> so we're already conditioned to think man it's scary <laughs> but uh but no but in all seriousness man um you know as i you know like really understand you know why why you guys are doing this kind of um research it's to ultimately help humanity help our world and um, and it, it gives me a, 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 a big, you know, sense, like almost a sigh of relief, not a sigh as in we're out of it, but like, you know, there is a way and not even in theory, because as you put it, there are examples of uh, countries that are doing it well. And if we are just to follow their lead or their example, um, you know, that, that is a, a very much of a possibility for us. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Again, we, we got to keep moving in the ways that we are, hopefully, uh, you know, through outlets like ours, um, you know, with what you guys are doing. And we're not alone, you know. There's so many people out there who are doing what they can. So um, I just want to personally thank you for doing your part and um, sharing your knowledge with us. And, um, you know, if it's cool with you, man, we'd love to do some periodic check-ins with you, you know, as we of course. move forward. Um, of course. Yeah, so for whoever else outside of this conversation, this is only a little bit over an hour. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting out stuff on your social media daily, you know, that's very valuable, like your stories and stuff. So how can people follow you, uh, plug, plug your things, man? Yeah, yeah, thank you, man. So yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, all the social media at David Sun Kong. Um, so it should be pretty easy to find. And, um, and yeah, I try to, you know, communicate and get, get good messaging out there um, every day as much as I can. Oh, one thing to quickly plug, actually, um, I was just talking to Lee Jay about this. So we, we're collaborating, actually. So we're, we're working together on a, um, on a mask challenge. So um, he, Lee Jay may not have, uh, you know, spread the word down with, with everybody. But um, part of one thing I'm really excited about at MIT, we're doing a, a larger design challenge, actually, around innovation around masks. And, you know, given all of the work y'all do, um, all the amazing creative you are you, you have in trying to get that mass culture out there um, you know we're collaborating so there's a platform it's called the pandemic response collab um, basically it's an open source community driven thing where we want you know kind of anybody on planet earth that's got a great idea about how to do an innovation around masks we'd love for you to participate and so um, the Kinjas you know shout outs to you all for for being down to be a part of that and help with that initiative so um, I think you guys are going to be uh, uh, celebrity judges or, or judges as a part of our our, our efforts so we're so thrilled to have you guys and, um, and yeah, you know, I think we're all going to get through this together. Um, you know, I'm doing my part to try to get the word out on social media. So, you know, again, that's at David Sun Kong, but you know, we're going to get through this, through this together. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, man, success is inevitable. Um, we're going to get there. Timing is uncertain, but we're going to get there and we're going to get there faster as a family. We're going to get Love there fast, faster as a family. Love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very stoked on, uh, all those initiatives and, uh, you guys will be, uh, in the know very soon. But um, again, David, thank you so much for hopping in. We'll, we'll plug uh, your IG handle, all that, just so that people can know um, how to follow. But guys, thank you for listening, tuning in to another episode. Um, you know, we have 100 plus episodes before this. So if you dig this one, we got a whole lot more. And uh, if this is valuable, entertaining, whatever it is for you, um, all we ask that you do is uh, take a screenshot and let us know you're listening. Tag us on IG, Twitter, Kinja's Podcast, Cast with the K. Uh, we're on Facebook, all of that. Uh, hop on to your podcast platforms, leave us a, a rating, um, a review, let us know what you're digging, what you would like to hear, guests that you would love to, for us to have on. And um, just as we're talking about, we're going to get through it. 
um, share this. I feel like this pod in particular is so much information. Um, definitely worth so many listens. I'm probably going to go back and take notes later. <laughs> so share with your friends and uh, stay safe out there, you guys, and um, stay up. Peace. Peace. Peace.